waiting room, getting ready to give his advice. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, so we have not heard our lady say, no. Oh, we'll begin. Yeah, so Fred, let us know. Recording in progress. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... Please go. Afternoon. And welcome to another episode of Pillars of Franchising. We had a bit of a wonky start there, but we are here nonetheless. And we'd like to thank you for joining us on this first October show of 2023. We've got a lot of great things coming up for you today. We're going to have a special talk with Jerry Akers as, as well. We have a special guest from Lime Painting. We're going to talk about what makes that company such a great purchase or investment for potential franchisees. Um, I'd like to remind you, of course, wearing pink today because it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And if I couldn't wear pink, I would certainly be wearing purple because it is also Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And as a Molly Maid owner and a board member for the Miss Molly Foundation, it's my my extreme honor to remind you of those people, of the silent crimes that often go um, unknown, unreported, underreported. Um, if you're interested in figuring out how to for a cause like domestic violence awareness, please check out the Ms. Molly Foundation and make a donation directly or contact your local Molly Made office and they'll be happy to help you. We support local charities throughout the country. And without further ado, Karen. Hello. Hi. How are you today? I am great. I'm great. I just uh, haven't been thinking a lot about our lively discussion that we've, uh, that we've been uh, talking a lot about over the past weeks about yeah. franchisees. And uh, so the word on the street today is to talk about franchisees and why they why they fail. That's a great that's a great topic. And one of the reasons Karen and I decided to talk about this is that most people who contact us really want to know how do I get started, what do I need to do, and but what if it doesn't work? So today our conversation is not only going to talk about what are some of the key reasons that franchisees fail, but also what you can do to prevent those. Um, happening. So what have you got for us, Karen? I understand you've got four or five failures that jump right off the page. I do. Well, the first one is one that, that we all talk about a lot. And even though we, what is it, we know it, it still happens. Uh-huh. And it's called cash flow. Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, right? That's really, if we don't have cash flow, then that's that's the real reason a lot of, a lot of franchises fail. Yeah. And I think a lot of times they're like, oh, no, no, I have enough cash. But it's not, it's knowing when you're starting, there are so many things, you know, we've talked a lot this, about this a lot, is making sure you've got the right amount of cash, even more than you think you're going to have yes. when, you're, when you're starting your franchise. And even as your franchise is in, in maturity, a mature franchise, making sure that you pay attention to that. Yeah. Um, and it's, go ahead. There should be a couple of things that if you're working with a consultant or a broker or a mentor, whatever that happens to be that you, that you who you're using, you should also be doing a break-even analysis, and that's really critical to help you kind of track what key indicators in your business need to move to help you with that cash flow. Um, Ray and I have talked for years now about our belief based on what we've been through um, with the recession, with COVID, you know, whatever that number you think is going to be, two and a half times so that you've got plenty of money and that's not an issue. Some people might think that's a bit aggressive, but I think that also you have to think about when you are quitting a corporate job, right? You need to look at what is your family situation? Are you single supporting just yourself? Are you the breadwinner in a family of five? Are you the spouse of somebody who's the breadwinner, right? All of those factors really come in because you have to figure out what it's going to look like until you start making money. You've got to have something to help live on before the business starts to be profitable. Absolutely. And so many times I think people think about the things that they, the small things, you know, yeah. oh, let's say if there's like a, a delay of this or delay of that. But you're right. You mentioned like COVID. I mean, we didn't know COVID was going to happen. 
So yeah. making sure you had enough in reserves. And even while you're going through it, thinking worst case scenario, I think this is where a lot of, I think, companies kind of got caught where they didn't realize how long, how long it was going to go. And none of the impact of, you know, of, of customers, then we had the whole supply chain issues. Sure. So many things I think that compiled in it. I think that's why there's a lot of discussions right now with that and just making sure that, you know, again, you always say, Kristen, eyes wide open. Yeah. It's really going in with eyes wide open. It's a great opportunity and it's making sure that you know, you know, what you're doing. And, and you're right about making sure that you've got it, um, that you've got your regular ha- finger on the pulse. Yeah. So you don't just do it at the beginning, but it's an ongoing, really taking a look at where you are. Yeah. And I think this is where it becomes very important that you have a good banker, somebody who can really talk to you um, from kind of a neutral point of view, because it isn't always just about borrowing money from the bank, especially today at high interest rates, right? It might be doing a 401k rollover where you wind up paying yourself. So it's really important to get with the right people. And obviously on our website, we have all kinds of resources of past guests and people that we partner with to make sure that anybody out there can make an educated decision. What's the next point you have? The next one is the, per- the right personality or the right person for the franchise. Um, you know, many times what happens, I know within, within like my franchise, you need to be pretty, you know, active in the community. You need to be out there. You need to have like a kind of a sales, sales savvy, sales mentality. And if someone's just going to come in and say, oh, I can just, I can, I can just buy this and I'll have other people do it for me. Yeah. And many times what happens is if they can't find the right people and they don't have those skills, yeah. um, that, that's a, that's a factor when uh, many times franchisees fail. Well, I think that's really interesting. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, I'll, I'll take a couple of examples of people that started in the franchise system I'm in. And when they validated, my validation recommendation was that they didn't buy. And that validation recommendation was because the fit was all wrong. They came out of the medical field or they came out of the IT field. And there just wasn't a, you couldn't make a personal connection with that person. And my thought is, if they're going to be out in homes talking to people, they have to be able to make that connection. And as I said before, they still went ahead and bought. And guess what? I wound up buying both of them. You're right. Yeah. Because I was the only one in validation who was honest and said, I really don't think it's the right fit. Yeah. But yeah. I wound up buying both of them. Thing. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's why I like it when franchise, a lot of franchisors will do the kind of like a personality test. I mean, they'll actually create something for what they're looking for. And mm-hmm. I think that's good because they want, they want franchisees that are successful too. Yeah. So I think through that vetting process, it's for someone to really know, you know, are they the right person? Kind of leave, leaving ego aside and making sure yeah. they're the right person for that match. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have to talk about that another time too, because that's what we do here at Pillars of Franchising is the, we use the spot on survey to, mm-hmm. to identify blind spots that people have in their personalities or leadership style. Very good point. What else have we got on that list? The, the, the last one I'll talk about today is they think it's easier than what it is. <laughs> and, you know, is that funny? Oh, that doesn't look so hard. It's a name brand. It's yeah. a name brand. I'm sure they've got it all together. And they, they discount that. Yeah. And then what happens is they get in there. And, and as we all know, it is a lot harder. It's rewarding. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's personally financial. It can be very rewarding. And it's a lot of hard work. And you've got to make sure you're paying attention to the details. So that's, that's the third one where I think people are like, okay, I'm going to buy this. And they get in, they're like, whoa, this is not what I thought it was. And, and so that, that's, it, it, can be, it can be a factor. Yes, and I would say right along with those, some of those red flags are when people are talking about a semi-absentee business or an absentee business completely, not semi-absentee, but absentee, particularly in the first couple of years where you're building your business, you're building your marketing strategies, you're building your employee base and your culture. Um, those are just, it, you just can't plug and play. It's not as Jerry referred to it, even in his book, the business in a box, right? Absolutely. So it's a great place to start, it but is. it's not the end all the all. Correct. So, thank you so much, Karen. I appreciate it. I think we're going to take a brief break and then we'll be right back with Nick Lopez and Lime Painting. Hey, franchise owners, how is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? 
At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a y.com. And welcome back. As promised, we have with us Nick Lopez. He is the founder of uh, Lime Painting. I cannot wait to learn about this model, Nick. I'm excited to share. Excellent. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Since you're the founder, that means that you have actually come up with this idea. It was, I assume, your personal business first, and then you decided to franchise it. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Awesome. So we have a lot of people out there thinking they've got this business. Where do they go next? And that's about where you were when you decided to franchise it. Can you tell us a little bit about what made you decide to franchise? What was kind of the passion and the purpose behind it? Absolutely. So uh, my story starts in college. I was an out-of-state student at Michigan State. And I wrestled my freshman year, and uh, a scholarship was out of sight. So, you know, in the meantime, I had tuition and cost of living and books, and it was clear that the scholarship wasn't uh, going to uh, support me through college. So I actually started a paint company called Spartan College Painters, and that's how I painted my way through school. And... Uh, you know, supported myself uh, to pay for tuition and whatnot. I had no idea that I would uh, continue to own a paint company throughout my career. And uh, it wasn't until a mentor of mine handed me a book called E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Uh And that's where I learned about franchising. Um, I, I had essentially... Uh, you know, I heard from so many clients, thanks for showing up, thanks for doing a good job, thanks for answering your phone, very basic compliments, and East Lansing happened to be uh, more of an affluent area, so, um, and also I had big college bills, so, you know, I looked at the the bigger the home, the the bigger, uh, you know, the the project would be, but Uh, I was stumbling on a need in the market in the luxury space where folks care about quality. Uh, They don't want to overpay, but uh, they do want to pay more to get more, and they want to do the job right. And being that it was my name, I was putting it on the business. That was the approach I took. And as I got into my business degree, you know, competitive advantage really started uh, turning the light bulb on for me as I learned about that fancy business word and. I got into my marketing degree and uh, started le- learning about positioning. So if you're high price, high quality as a business, that's your lane. That's where you stay. And uh, that really shaped the opportunity. And so when I went and shared that with uh, my mentor, uh, his solution for, um, you know, the opportunity to deliver that value in other markets nationally uh, you know, his solution was E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, and um, that was maybe about 13 years ago. I started Spartan College Painters in 2008, so right in the middle of the Great Recession, and um, like I said, ran that for five years, moved home to Denver, and started Lime Painting, and, you know, the whole point was to really prove out the business model, further differentiate the model. Uh-huh. Um, I went on to join the International Franchise Association and um, nerded out about franchising before I actually franchised. So I received my uh, CFE, um, you know, it's the Certified Franchise Executive designation. You essentially take a bunch of classes around the country at different IFA conferences. Uh, one thing I valued about my undergrad, I attributed our success in Denver to my sales degree. 
and our branding and marketing to my marketing degree. And I knew that I couldn't take credit for that. So I wanted to go to uh, an association like the IFA where I could learn from others and, and get educated about franchising. Um, and then we started franchising in 2018. Okay. Um, really brought on our, our early adopters, some of our legacy owners, and uh, really started expanding in 2020. So we had seven locations in August of 2020. Uh, as you know, COVID and uh, right. probably, probably invested more. Well, I did. I invested more uh, into expansion than I ever have in my life. And, yeah. um, you know, we we grew. I think we added like 70 locations in 15 months. And, um, you know, here we are on the back end of 2023 um, coming up on 100 locations. So, wow. Um, yeah, it's been a, a fun process and journey. There's been a lot of lessons and wins and everything in between. I always joke and say that business is like uh, the ultimate business or a personal development course. Uh, you're constantly being humbled and, and yeah. needing to stretch yourself and learn and, and adapt so to so many different things. <laughs> there are no two days that are alike. Well, in, in normal Spartan style, because um, yeah. I actually was at Michigan State, but much much earlier than you. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, because Jerry's laughing in the background. Um, how many, <laughs> I'm going to get you, Jerry. How many locations did you have before you decided you were ready to franchise? Because I know there's people out there that are thinking, you know, I've got restaurants, two or three restaurants. Do they make the leap? How, how did you decide? Uh, we had two uh, corporate locations in Denver, and, uh, you know, I, I built a team of advisors and consultants around me. Uh -huh. um, you know, we spent, um, you know, those two years I was with the IFA, um, about uh, 15 months of that was working with that team to help lay the foundation of the franchise. Um, so I, I think it was a collective effort of a, a lot of very experienced folks that, um, one, helped me figure out if franchising was right for me and if. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we could actually franchise the business and then, you know, how to appropriately uh, lay the initial foundation for us to start doing just that appropriately onboarding and, and supporting franchise owners. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Pretty impressive because a lot of people would maybe think about that after they started, <laughs> after they started yeah. franchising, right? And so you, you did it very methodically where it's like, okay, if I'm going to do it the right way, uh, receiving the certification, I think that's 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 very impressive. So, what are what are some key things if you think about as you were starting Lime? First of all, where does Lime come from? Where does Lime mm. teaching come from? Can you share a little bit about that? Great question. Well, first of all, go green. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, that was yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm not a Spartan, so. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> But uh, a part of the a part of the name is the color. So being a Spartan, um, green being the color. Um, you know, sitting in a neighborhood and just kind of looking back over the past few years and all the clients we have worked for, and um, I felt like we missed out on a marketing opportunity. No one really knew who we were at the time. We just wore T-shirts from our suppliers, and uh, they were white T-shirts branded by our suppliers. And I felt like if we had a color that stood out, you know, folks in neighborhoods would um, start to identify that, hey, X color comes in and transforms homes. And, you know, being green, lime is the most eye-catching color. Um, and so lime green was the color. And, you know, lime painting really came from the marketing and the branding, which, you know, we call it compounding. So many of our customers come from projects and around job sites and we really network and, and uh, you know, build value within subdivisions. It, it happens street by street and the color really helps us do that. But um, Lime has become our core value. So it stands for love, integrity, mission, and excellence. Awesome. So I think that's really cool. It's, um, we've had a couple of different franchisors on here, and in their name, it actually stands for something. And I think when you have a company and you set core values, it really kind of sets a different standard than perhaps some of your competitors. Um, obviously, you know, the, the big thing, a lot of people would 
probably say is, well, I mean, there's like a million independent painters out there, just like there are a million independent cleaners. So how do you differentiate? You know, clearly you have uniforms, but what other things do you do to differentiate yourself and in, in what makes you able to attract people who want to invest in a market that's pretty saturated and they give money to line painting? Absolutely. Well, um, first of all, the painting space is a massive um, industry. So, you know, you look at all of home services, it's a pretty big fraction of the home service space. Uh, so, you know, if you drive to your airport, you know, there are so many buildings and surfaces that have painting and coatings on them. Um, so there's plenty of business to go around. There's a lot of need and there's a tremendous amount of need to standardize a very fragmented industry. Um, and that's the great thing about franchising and national companies, even fellow paint franchises. Um, you know, we're all collectively improving the customer experience. Um, but at Lime, we specifically focus on, and we're the first and only luxury paint company. So uh, again, going back to my college days, recognizing that need in the market, back to my uh, lecture hall, learning about positioning, you know, our lane is, you know, higher price, but you get a lot of quality. And so we provide that option in the market for customers that really struggle to find that. Um, so many times they're, uh, you know, they're experiencing inconsistent uh, customer experiences and, you know, un unreliable service providers. Sure, franchising comes in and standardizes that, but uh, there's not an option that understands a custom home. And so, you know, our first four years, we really differentiated our business in that we became much more than just a paint company. We look at paint as a type of coating, which it is. There are many different coatings and paint is one of those. And these custom homes have many surfaces that make up the estate. So you can think of the driveway as stamped concrete, you know, the metal fence that wraps around the estate. Um, Generally, that stamped concrete patio wraps around the pool around the back. Um, you know, there's metal railings along the back deck that divide mm -hmm. the, uh, the decking. There's stucco on the siding. Um, there's all sorts of wood substrates like pergolas and decks and um, lattice work. So you have all of these surfaces that make up a home. And so many times customers look at their paint and they say, oh, it's peeling, it's faded, it needs to be done. Well, all of those other surfaces are on the same maintenance schedule and they're all exposed to the elements, the sun and water, they all deteriorate. And guess what, on a, on a custom home, each surface is expensive. Yeah. And, and so leaving them uncoated and unprotected just prolongs and extends that deterioration. Um, and these are expensive assets. The, in each sure. surface is worth uh, a lot of money. So. We come in and help educate clients. Our whole consultation process is wrapped around helping an, a client understand just that, how the elements affect each surface, and then how to appropriately restore mm -hmm. and coat, uh, apply a top coat that is going to perform. Um, so we have, we have national partnerships with all the three major coatings companies, and we have standardized their highest grade uh, solutions for each surface type. Uh, so you talked about those first four years, really, you know, standardizing, differentiating the business. Yep. There's a lot of trial error and doing just that. And, um, you know, so a lot of what we do, educating clients around just that, how their home works. And before you just put down a coating, you want to make sure that that surface has good integrity and that coating is going to appropriately adhere and perform. Thus why we do uh, surface restoration. So we'll do any carpentry work, stucco skim coating, uh, you know, grout work to the mortar. Um, you know, last thing we want to do is just apply a coating to a surface that, you know, isn't a very good profile. Yeah. So we do, we do painting coatings and surface restoration. I've, I've spoken specifically to the exterior, but uh, we do all coatings and drywall in the interior. So kitchen cabinets, faux painting, lacquer work painting, uh, you name it. Um, you know, so we, 
we the offer. The thing I think of is, oh my God, do I need to know all of this if I'm going to buy Lime Green? I, I was thinking the same thing. I was wondering how long, like the, how long is the onboarding process for franchisees? Absolutely. So we are very much a train. We are very much focused on training, and that training never stops. It it goes on. Um, we have great resources from our suppliers. Um, their logistical footprint is incredible. For example, there's a Sherwin-Williams every 10 miles. Um, and their ability to go and, and, and um, you know, overlook and help support the first time you're installing a coating is, is tremendous. We really lean on our suppliers to ensure that, you know, our, for those first-time applications, they're being done correctly. But the other part of this is that we are working with artisans in the market. So the demographic that we work with is willing to pay more to get more. They want to work with artisans. And so we're able to attract very talented craftsmen that have the expertise in these coatings and they stick with us. There's a high amount of uh, retention with our subcontractors. We've been able to see that nationally. And the frank reality is they generally don't have the skill sets to consistently get the types of projects that we do. And so we're able to do all the customer service, uh, account management, and really all they do is show up and do what they do best, which is right. the applications. Um, so the majority of our owners uh, come from outside the industry. They do not know anything about the coatings that I mentioned, the services that we offer. Uh, you go through our training, it's called Lime Elite Academy. Uh, you get all of your online certifications. The great thing is that there's a finite amount of services that we offer and mm -hmm. there's one or two ways to do it. So, okay. you know, that, that learning curve is there, but um, it's obtainable and we've consistently seen that folks don't struggle understanding the business. Sure. Um, and then they come to our headquarters once they've gone through our academy and they spend a week with us where you know, we call it boot camp, and we really build on the foundation that they built virtually they go back to their market and uh, our field coach goes into their market and does a sales training, uh, okay. usually about 30 to 45 days after they launch. And then uh, about 30, 45 days after that, we come back out for a production training. Um, so yeah, training is important, um, yeah. but uh, it's, it's very doable because like I said, there's one or two ways to um, provide every service that we offer. So for people who are listening, and thank goodness you explained that part of it, because certainly I can go out and talk to people and sell, but it would take me quite some time to catch up on all these different services. And I like the fact, I, I would have to guess, do you have some issues with um, employee retention and, and finding employees? Or Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so, um, you know, our retention on the subcontractor side, the artisans we work with is pretty solid. Um, we build sales teams. Uh, we have a very effective sales model. Uh, it's an acronym called RESPIN. And, um, you know, that's the sales track. Um, but, yeah, so we, we always recommend, look, if you're, if you're looking to make one hire for a sales rep, hire two to three. So, you know, if you, if you hire with that intention, um, you know, it, wor it works out. So if somebody's listening and they're interested, can you tell us a little bit about how you do territories? That, how does Absolutely. it work and how much does it cost? Yeah, great question. So territories, uh, we are awarding territories in the top third of the market in terms of home value. So in Boise, okay. Idaho, that could be half a million, in Denver, a million, in LA, two million. So our software for building territories takes into account home values, and we're awarding 6,000 homes protected okay. rooftops of contiguous zip codes that get you to that uh, 6,000 home uh, threshold. That's one territory. And then commercially, uh, it's unprotected. So, you know, anywhere okay. in the market on the commercial side, but um, from a residential perspective, we're really targeting that uh, top third of home values. And then for one location, uh, we have a franchise fee of $60,000. Uh, 
and uh, second territory is 40,000, and then every territory thereafter is 35,000. So if you invest in three territories, it would be 135,000 in franchise fees. Um, you know, if it's one unit, it's 60,000, and our investment range is anywhere between 125,000 and 201,000 uh, for a single unit. Okay. Well, it sounds like you've really gone gangbusters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, bringing a lot of value on the franchise owner side. Uh, when folks go through our discovery process, they validate with our franchise owners. Uh, they come to discovery day. Um, you know, they see the value, the intentionality in the business, the amount of support, the infrastructure, the resources that they have to utilize in their market. And they can identify with painting. It's a simple business. Um, and there's a lot of demand. And so as a result, you know, on the, on the franchise owner side, um, yeah, we've had growth as a result. Um, you know, that's really the marketplace, right? If there's value, there's demand. And, um, sure. you know, we have plenty of territories available, you know, being a, an emerging newer brand. Um, so a lot of our, you know, top markets are, well, have gone. Um, but we have plenty more. Uh, obviously, they're going quickly, but um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a humbling process. And um, you know that that vision 12 years ago, 13 years ago, it's been uh, it's been uh, you know an, an honor living it out and and seeing it through. I guess you know one one last question I have is what's your kind of what's your profile of a franchise? kind of like the, the, the franchise for a franchisee, a profile of someone who would buy this because you've got such a great um, analytical approach as far as how you have your different markets. So so what does that look like? Absolutely. So I heard you guys talking about some personality tests. <laughs> um, we use a, a personality test called Culture Index and we traveled to Kansas City and got certified. A lot of our executive team, uh, some of our franchise owners, uh, actually the president of our franchise Advisory Council came out, got certified with us, but um, we do a, a lot of recruiting support at home office for our locations, um, and we have those those uh, profiles typified for even our our sales folks that we're recruiting. But when it comes to our franchise partners, um, we also have typified profiles that test against 19 different profiles. Uh, so we're able to get a good indication on the traits and skill sets that translate at Lyme. Um, you know, so that's very much a part of our onboarding process. But we're looking for folks that have, um, you know, comfort and competency in building teams and uh, doing sales. Um, and a lot of our owners come from corporate America, um, plenty of uh, sales folks, director of sales, um, but that's our business. It's a heavy sales organization. Right. Clearly, we're delivering a, a luxury experience for customers, but we're leaning on our artisans to have those skill sets. We're not hiring those employees. So we're a sales and marketing organization that builds teams that delivers you know, world-class service. Um, being a luxury brand, that's, that's top of mind, building relationships and, and helping them fall in love with their home. I think it's great that you refer to um, your team members as artisans and craftsmen, because I think in a lot of the trades, we think of, um, you know, well, you're a painter, right? You paint, or I go get my nails done and she's a nail tech, but really there's an art form to it. And people who don't love what they do tend not to do it as well as somebody who has a passion for it. So I would have to imagine that, you know, one of your folks out there, you know, painting a home, being referred to as an artisan or craftsman really makes them feel good, valuable, a part of a team, and it really elevates their morale. Have you had any feedback about that? Because I think it's really a great, a great way to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you're right on there. And uh, that's the experience that we're providing at Lime, right? We're a luxury brand. So, yeah. you know, when I say world-class service and I say a focus on relationships and our values and, and artisans, yeah. um, you know, we live those things out. We often have a saying at Lime that we work in beautiful places for beautiful people, with beautiful people. 
And, and that's a mindset. And yes. that's the way, that's what we call the Lime way. That's how we do business. And um, that's what's special about every company is you have a customer experience. Um, you know, we're very, we're very intentional about how we define our culture. Um, you know, if you're not defining it, it will be defined for you. And, you know, we're defining it for our customers. It's all about the customer. Well, I think it's very exciting, and I have to I have to thank you for coming on and, and sharing with us um, all that you have about lime painting and the lime way. And I hope that that helps put you and keep you in the limelight, so to speak, uh, for people. Very good. <laughs> well, you just you know, I mean, really, because this is we have a lot of you know, we call them corporate refugees, whatever you want to call them, that are looking for a business model that they can use some of the skills that they really enjoy talking to people and selling stuff. And, um, but they're not necessarily interested in learning chemistry and about the substrates and, and weathering of products. And, you know, so this is really a great opportunity. And it seems like the, the investment is, is a really good value, especially with the amount of organization, the um, data that you have tracked and invest in the technology, the customer service. I mean, I think it looks like a really solid brand. I, I wish you guys all the luck in the world. Uh, thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, we hope we hope to uh, we hope to help you as well. Can you that would be us, <laughs> Can you give us where we would like where you would like us or have our folks? I'm sorry, I have something in the background going on. I sound like Star Wars. Um, <laughs> where you would like them to contact you if they've got questions. Sure. Um, so you can check us out. We have a podcast called The Level Up Show, uh, Level Up Show with Nick Lopez. Uh, we just rolled out a new series called The People at Lime, where we feature and tell stories of franchise owners, the home office, uh, you know, any of the employees, teammates at Lime. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. And of course, uh, you can always jump on our website, limepainting.com. And uh, I'm always accessible via email. So you can shoot me an email at nick at limepainting.com. That's awesome. And you've got some great development people too. I've talked to them on the phone. So that's great that you're building such a great team. We hope that you'll come back again in a few months and visit with us and tell us all about the exploding growth that you have across the state. I would love to. Thank you, Nick. Uh, thank you. Absolutely. 50 graduates resulting in seven new franchisees owning eight franchise brands, more than a dozen skilled graduates who are employees of franchise companies, all of them having earned a concentration in franchising exclusively granted by the Titus Center at Palm Beach Atlantic University, plus more than 80 franchise professionals on our advisory board. The Titus Center for Franchising is on fire in West Palm Beach, Florida. What do you need to join us? My students want to hear from you. They may even want to buy your franchise or work for your company. TitusCenter.com. And thank you for the Titus Center for your sponsorship. And uh, so excited to go down there in, wait, when am I going? January for the Selling Franchises show or seminars that we're doing down there. So that would be great to see John Hayes and his team and all those great kids that are going to school for franchising. Jerry, welcome back. Greetings. Good to see you, Kristen. It's great to see you. What are we talking about today? More interesting stuff. All about franchising, right, Kristen? That, do we talk about anything else? No. <laughs> By the way, great, great interview. I love hearing about Lime Painting. I think that's a phenomenal brand. Uh, I, I just really like the way they built it. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear how they continue to move forward with their success. Yeah, I love how you how they have done such a good job. You're not hiring just a painter, right? It's the whole artist and craftsman. When he talks about the home and all the different surfaces and substrates it has, I mean, that's how you go in and you sell to a high-end customer, right? It's it's talking through all of it, and they just go, wow, the last guy I talked to just asked me what color I wanted. Yeah, he had substrates. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's great. I, I can't wait to see how they grow. Yeah, very cool. Well, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you, Kristen, and talk about what's going on in franchising. So what's on your mind? What do you want to talk about today? Well, you know, Jerry, I kind of like to be able to sort through a lot of this um, stuff going on in the news and yeah. how it's going to affect people. You know, we have a lot of people, the majority of which are looking to buy a franchise. And I know for me, a lot of times they go, oh, my gosh. All right, well. 
I've got X number of years before I sign my contract again. What does the franchise world look like tomorrow, next week, in three years? And so I'm wondering if you could just kind of tell us with some of the things going on out there, just what would you be looking for? What are some of the impacts we need to be aware of? Because it's still a good time to buy, right? Well, that's why I want to start this with is um, this is a great time to buy franchises. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talk about that all the time. And unfortunately, so many times in my segment, anyhow, we're talking about issues in franchising. But I want our listeners to understand, we talk about those just to educate people. We want them to understand so when they're making a decision, they're looking at all the pertinent information, they're analyzing it, they're taking a look at, you know, how that might work with their personality and how much time they want to spend in the business and, you know, all those things. So when we talk about issues or headwinds or any of those kinds of things in franchising, it's merely to help educate people so they make great decisions. So right now, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the the agreement in California that is going to impact minimum wage for the next few years. By the way, minimum wage in California was and will continue to go up on a regular basis no matter what happens in the rest of the world. So looking at that agreement as a negative thing is is kind of glass half full thinking right because as we talked about last week there are lots of great things that came out of the agreement for franchising but if you only looked at the one component which for a short time accelerated minimum wage you would look at it as a negative thing so when we're talking about franchising overall overall it's stronger than it ever has been mm-hmm. there are literally more opportunities than there ever have been and there's it's a great time to get into it but you do have to like buying any business there's going to be things that you've got to work through you've got to digest you got to maybe even come up with answers on but your franchise or as well as people like all of us here on fra- uh, pillars of franchising are mm-hmm. in a position to help guide you through that so right. don't give up on it so I think one of the biggest things that we've got to think about today as we look to buy or expand in any business is the labor situation. Ah, yes. Not just what you pay for labor, but what labor is available out there. Sure. So if we were, in fact, before the show, we were talking a little bit about uh, some large uh, QSR brands like uh, McDonald's and Wendy's and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And the impact of labor on them. Well, those are businesses that take an immense amount of labor to run one location. Yep. It's in a category where it's even harder to find labor right now than it ever has been. So um, that's going to be a bit of a struggle. If you were to buy a, a brand like that, love the brands, would suggest you really take a look at it because if it's a fit for you, do it. Understand you're going to have some struggles with labor. Mm-hmm. If it's any of the other brands out there that lean heavily on high labor percentages, you're going to have some things that you need to work through. But again, right. your franchisor is dealing with this and they're prepared to help you. Mm-hmm. Your best, as always, your best resources are other franchisees because they're living your life right. so yep. they with that. But be prepared to understand where labor and any issues with labor in the modern world are going to impact you in that franchise system. Very good point. Very good point. And is there, a, do you feel there's a difference depending on where you go to open your business? And I mean, obviously the type of business is key. I mean, you know, you have a McDonald's of 50 and you have maybe, you know, take a line painting and maybe they need 10 initially, or I need six. It, it still depends on where you are, right? I mean, the type of labor you have available to you. The type of labor you have available and the type of labor you need, because it, it just, you know, for instance, if you were to take a blue collar type of business and put it in a white collar neighborhood, it may not, yeah. you, may, you may not sell as much of what you, whatever product or service you're offering, but you also may not have the employees that you need for that particular offering. You yeah. know, we talked about lime painting because that's, that's our guest today. You know, uh, he talked quite often about, you know, it's it's kind of an upscale brand and it's and they go the extra mile. Well, that's going to take a different caliber employee than Joe's painting, which has one or two trucks yes. and goes up to ask you what color you want, as you use as an example. So, yes, understanding the labor pool you're dealing with is something you should take a look at. Maybe your state or your city is struggling with labor in that category. Maybe you need to buy a license in another geographic area to make it work, you know. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about geographic areas, 
don't lose track of the fact there are some areas that are more business friendly than other areas, especially in the world we live in today. Yeah. This is not to badmouth any states or cities, but as a business owner, you've got to look at it realistically and understand what headwinds you will struggle with in that particular area. It may be your hometown in your state, and you love it to death. You cheer for the local teams. Your kids go to school there, all those things. But it still may not be business friendly or at least not friendly to the business you're looking at. So as a business owner, it is not only your responsibility, but I would think it's in your best interest financially to look at a geographical location that better fits when it comes to those kinds of things, Kristen. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because a lot of times you want to be around the people you know, where you're comfortable, right? And, you know, one of the things that when we went to buy our franchise, and hopefully other franchisors do this, I don't know, I've not seen anything in an FDD about it, but that's probably more of a franchise development issue. And we had a map that said, here's where your customers are based on income, home value, blah, blah, blah. But these dark spots right here that they don't look like they're worth anything to you, that's where you want your office because that's where your employees live because they can't right. necessarily afford the level or type of service, kind of like lime painting, what, what, what he said, right? Their customer are in these big posh areas, but that's not where their artisans and craftsmen come from. And so no, I, think and I, I cannot tell you how many franchisees I've advised and mentored with who chose a bad location. They, they chose the location that is, a very, very white collar affluent area to put their, their, their unit or their uh, office or whatever the case might be, as you mentioned, and they cannot find staff. Staff has to drive from 30, 40 miles away. And if you're dealing with staff that are in a modest income category, they may not be willing to drive that far. That's right. So either, either you will, you know, maybe have to move or perhaps pay a stipend to get people to travel to that area or something like that. You just have to be prepared for that. So just like everything else we do on this show, if we can advise prospective franchisees before they become franchisees, it helps for their due diligence, the questions they ask at discovery day, the questions they ask on validation calls and the decisions they eventually make in that purchase. Yeah, I think that's some great advice and really make sure that you ask not only the, the, the franchisor, but the owners of existing units, what exactly did you do or how did you determine where your office was, office was to find staff? Is there, say, one or two particular states that if you could, should, do it all over again, that you would choose to open a business in that you feel are most? I love I love the states I'm in. They're very business friendly. Uh, we've got lots of customers. We, uh, we don't have enough staff on one side of the business, but I mean, yeah. that's just kind of the world over, right? So, right. so I'm happy with those. And I, I think most states are, are good for small business and franchising in particular. Um, but there are, you know, five or so states out there, six that are more difficult merely because of regulations, taxes, uh, stipulations about your employment agreement with your staff, those kinds of things. And, um, you know, I, I'm not here to badmouth any states or geographic areas, but, but the reality is there are some that are much more difficult. And, and some of them, and I'm going to pick on California for a minute because we've been talking about your home state, Kristen. Yes. But the fact is there are brands that are choosing to not go to that state right now. There are brands that are not going to renew licenses in that state in the future because of some of the um, cost of doing business there, the labor situation in that state, regulations, and so on. Again, one of our most beautiful states. I love the state, but just strictly from a business standpoint, it is difficult, more difficult to do business there than it is in other states. If you want to do business in California, hallelujah. We need people right. that sell hamburgers and have hotel rooms to offer and all the other things that franchising does in California, but just be aware that the, the hurdles will be a little higher in California than there are in other states. Yeah. If you're driven to do it, do it, but just be prepared. Even in Iowa and Nebraska, uh, when, with the Great Clips brand, 
we could use more staff. It's, it's some of them didn't come back from COVID. It's just, you know, a, a work in progress. We gain ground every month, but it's taking time. Mm-hmm. With the joint, we've got, frankly, I've got more staff than I can use. And I got people applying every day, which is a great position to have, but still, I wish I could open more locations to put yeah. them to work. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was slow in getting that out of the ground. So if you're the first one in the area and you don't have name recognition, it might take you some time to hire those people because they yeah. don't know you. I know we had a couple locations that were three to four months late opening because we were we had it built and we were ready to go. We'd actually done some marketing, but we couldn't get enough staff to open the doors. So prospective franchisees, these are things to look at. These yeah. are things to consider. If you want to ask more questions, let us know. Pillars is here to support you. We will talk to you. We'll mentor you. Whatever you want to do, we'll just answer some questions. But reach out because our entire goal is to make franchising better for the whole franchise model. And if we can help you, save you from making a mistake, guide you, whatever, that's what we're here to do. The more you know, the better decision you can make. Absolutely. Jerry, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time you spend preparing for our talks on Thursdays and obviously all the great advice that you give to our prospective franchisees. So um, thank you again, and we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Sounds great. Thanks, Kristen. And I'd like to thank you uh, for all, all of you for joining us today, but a special thanks to Nick Lopez of Lime Painting. Uh, what a great educational uh, visit we had today. And we hope that if you have any questions or are interested in that brand, that you take a look at their website and or come through the Pillars of Franchising website where we'll have all the contact information. And you can talk to one of us about the differences between line painting and some of the other brands that are out there. So you can see the real differentials that uh, makes line painting what and who they are today. So big thank you to Jerry Akers, Karen Kinsey Ford, Ray Pillar, uh, our million dollar mentors. And we're looking forward to having Laura Liss, our franchise lawyer, back in the seat again soon. We hope you all have a great week. My name is Kristen Shalmessi. I am your fourth million dollar mentor, and we wish you a great week. Remember to find us again next week at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you get your podcast. And remember, when you're looking at franchising, the dream starts here. Have a great week. <laughs>